continue today on our series on Christian living in a dynamic cultural context and we shall be on this for a month which we began last Sunday. And last Sunday we tried to lay a foundation for the series. I disclaimed and said that most of the things we shall wrestle with in this series are not the foundational theological principles which cannot bend there is a huge latitude in the lives of a Christian where they can exercise discretion and take possessions on matters that are not identical and not be wrong necessarily. And I said that you are totally free to disagree with me on some of the things I say, even to disagree strongly, and you are not wrong in some of them, and we shall show up in heaven where there are streets of gold. <laughs> you disagreed, but we are there because it wasn't on a life and death matter. But I did say that the choices we make, even though they are within the space of liberty and freedom, do have consequences that can actually sometimes be quite grave and they can lay ground for your own peril or self-destruction or even death. And a lot of people who go through a lot of distress and pain, if they open their hearts to you, they can recall the moments in their journey when they made pretty harmless choices that turned out not to have been as harmless as they thought. And by hindsight, they think, even though for others that may be okay, for them, that was not the best of choices. Remember we looked at 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 12, where Paul addresses pretty complex theological issues in that chapter, and he says, to the rest I say this, and then he brackets and says, I, not the Lord, providing space for even the pastor and preacher, sometimes to say, this is my opinion. It is not out of a visitation by the Holy Ghost and um, anointing and prayer and study, thinking about the issues we have, I, I think this would be a wise way to look at it. Similarly, in 1 Corinthians 10, 23, he says, everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible, but not everything is constructive. And from that, someone, you could comfortably say, the guide Paul gives when we grapple with Christian grace, which are not black or white, is to ask, this view that I hold, this position that I'm holding, this choice that I'm making, is it sensible? Is it agreeable with common sense? The average Christian, just by following common sense, can avoid a lot of pitfalls and problems without needing to be so theologically complex as we like to be. And you ask them, so why, why did you do that? And they are stuck. They don't have an answer because even a normal, ordinary person who is not too spiritual, uh, who the lawyers call the reasonable man, could have seen if they looked at it keenly. And then you ask, is it beneficial? When I do this, is it going to benefit me? Is it constructive? Will it contribute to my long-term spiritual journey? from one degree of glory to the next. Now, life is short, you know. There isn't time to do all the things that we can possibly do that are wrong. And one of the considerations you must make, what is the value, what is the use, of what benefit are some of the things that are thrown our way which you have to choose from for us 
and for our families and for our life journey spiritually. But Paul introduced, we let hurt or stumble or confuse or undermine the faith of my fellow Christian. Very often we are direct the influence and the impact the lives we live have on people around us who we don't know. One of the things I do is to be sent my, by my wife. Uh, Bishop Charles is in that age now where when your wife asks you to do something, if you don't have a very good reason, you are wise to do it. It's likely to be useful. <laughs> so this morning, I was sent to Farmer's Choice to take an order for pigs. And as I sat there, a gentleman came and said, I know you. Well, if you know Canon Karanja, it's not uh, a big revelation because I'm a pretty common, <laughs> common face. And he says, you've been very useful in my life. Now, because I couldn't pick his face, I didn't know how I was useful. And then he says that we met about 20 years back in the home of a prophetess. And we had fellowship. And I preached. And he was in there and he says that just sitting there and listening to the way I turned around scripture and explain the points that I was trying to share without very much noise, without much form. Uh, sometimes <laughs> the Pentecostal pastors get when, when they preach. He felt jealous. He said, I would like to handle the word like this. So he went to Bible school. And even though he's in a church where Bible school qualifications are not very lifted. He, he qualified and he slowly got uh, ordained and he has a thriving ministry and he says that, that, is, that is how he made that choice. So you are there, people know you are a Christian, you are getting on with life, doing what you think makes sense you are a textbook for some people. <laughs> they look at your life and they will make choices on account of what you do. And so, if things are not fundamental to your faith, if they are not beneficial, if they are not constructive, for the risk that when you do them, there are people who might stumble, you might just be cautious. And you might be happier taking on lines of thought and choices that you think are wonderful because there are people looking at you who will benefit uh, as they learn from you. But to stumble, one of these Jesus has called, there are some people who have a millstone around their necks and thrown into the sea. They didn't do anything that is biblically wrong. They just made a simple one stumble. They matter to the Lord a lot more than we do. We then try to understand what is culture, what's a Christian heritage, and of, over that we basically drew our thoughts to the conclusion that as Christians, our task is to bring to bear on all our cultural roles, the mind, the purpose, the influence, the impact, and the power of Christ and the word of God. Remember I said, being a man is natural. Fathering children is biological. But being a father is cultural. Being a Christian father is another whole level. Because a cultural man is raising children for his community, for his tribe. Bishop, you don't know that there is a character in Nyeri who, because of the shortage of children, one day said he has a gift for every woman who gives 
gives birth ukizaa kuna kitu utaambukiwa nayo encouraging because there is a shortage of children in some places and politicians need votes sustainably and if people are not giving birth it's a sign that a time will come when their numbers will not count <laughs> but a christian father is raising godly offsprings to impact the kingdom of god in the lifetime of the father and long after the father is gone so it's a very solemn thing it's a very solemn thing that you are doing now some of the roles that are assigned we shall discuss them a little more deeply let me say that today we shall look at what are the influences and the vestiges from our various cultures on our lives as Christians and how should we deal with them we shall examine briefly what are some of the reasons why some Christians live under the oppression of the enemy and is there a way out now some of the roles that are assigned by culture to us when you follow them are contrary to scripture a typical kikuyu man operating within culture marries a wife and they raise children but if he's just a cultural man around when he is 45 50 when an animal called midlife crisis sets in and and he's now not sure whether he is as handsome as he used to be and masa he may find a girl who says he is great you are gray but the gray hair makes your hair look very nice and attractive and he takes a second wife kacha allows it in fact there are cultures where wazes who call you to sit you down to tell you now you are ripe for a second wife the status you have achieved in society requires that you demonstrate that you are a leader of more people by having more people <laughs> in your home and right there you are in conflict with the basic christian theology that marriage is monogamous you cannot be one flesh with five women because you can be one flesh with each of them how are you going to be one flesh for all of you together now some of the rites of passage in our cultures and critical milestones actually have traditional religious connotations and the transactions around them may raise serious faith questions and sometimes going through them yokes you up with traditional gods and religious theologies and practices on the face of it you're just doing something normal deeply you are being connected with the spirits so you get a baby a delivery no more just a baby that has been carried nine months but sometimes the activities that are done around delivery and the birth of a baby in some cultures do things to the mother and do things to the baby that will last with them for their lifetimes and beyond circumcision where it's applicable guys just been cut but technically that's a small thing but you can have ceremonies around it that result in pronouncements about them that are contrary to what the bible teaches how we choose wives the processes of getting married the patriarchal roles 
the powers and the blessings they are able to give and curses. And sometimes when you deal with culture, where plain culture ends and traditional religion begins has a bloodline. You cannot quite tell. You slide into one when you least expect it and you are carrying consequences thereafter. Now if you check most people, the pain points of their lives and families have to do with conflicts between the cultural and the Christian roles. The strains in many marriages arise out of inability to reconcile perceived rights and entitlements and roles assigned to husbands and to wives by our cultures and the prevailing forces around us. And if you are a Christian, then seeking to obey the Bible. And some families are caught up in what you cannot describe any other way except a tower of Babel rampant in strained marriages where people are just not communicating. You're not getting across. And you're asking, what is the problem? Kube, the wife, is talking to a lawyer man. And she thinks that she's talking to a brother. But now you have, you have, you have come up against fundamentals. You know, we, we cannot talk as normal when. Are there fundamentals that are different from what the Bible says? When it is cross-cultural, the burden is even bigger. Sometimes due to hang-ups that are not shared. Sometimes just insensitivity by one's spouse to the cultural hang-ups of the other. Sometimes intimidation. Because some people believe that their cultures are more superior than others and would like to swallow up your wife's culture or your husband's culture and worldview. Sometimes sheer contempt for each other's cultures. And you find the marriage is not thriving, but the fundamentals are not about the things you think matter. The challenge is about cultural hang-ups that they don't know how to handle. And so in some cultures, children are born, they are taken to a witch doctor to carry out rituals and make incantations for them so that they are protected for life and cannot be bewitched. And Pastor Mwaura, here you have people who are taken to a witch doctor. Here. You know, you're not asked whether you want to be taken or not. You are a baby <laughs> in the cradle. <laughs> you're just carried. And some of the pronouncements that were made around them then remain with them and are holding them down and keeping them from realizing the full stature of our faith and protection. And you find beads and charms uh, be under the clothes I was telling the other service that uh, when we went to carry out a mission across the borders in my earlier life, you know, I used to be a very crusade and uh, convention-oriented pastor. Bishop, you would find me in my collar on the platform to Kimaliza Kazi. So this particular place, we were hosted by an Anglican church, courtesy of the bishop, and we showed up. And the vicar refused us to hold the service, services in the church. He said the sinners are in the marketplace. So there's no point holding meetings in the church. Let's go where the sinners are. And from the tone I could tell, this guy is in occult practices. He's a fake Anglican priest. Because the church bishop is our father's house. Why do you want to go to the sinner's home instead of calling the sinners to your home where they might come and stick? 
But now, out there in the marketplace, as we were running the uh, crusade meeting, time to call people to come to the altar for prayer, and a woman shows up, decently dressed, carrying a baby, and we, someone took the baby so that she can be prayed for. Um, and then, when it was done, she refused to take the baby. <laughs> so now, <laughs> what do you do as a preacher to a, a customer who has come? <laughs> she has accepted your goods, <laughs> but she's leaving behind some for you that you didn't ask. <laughs> and now I couldn't speak the local language, so we asked, and she pointed to the wrist of uh, the baby, and when the dress was pulled up, there was a bead, and she points at it, says, so we cut it, put it on the fire, and I said, okay, get the baby. And she says, no. Uh, she pointed at the waist, and there was a mshipi, the beads. So we cut it, put it in the fire, now she took the baby. She knew what they had done. But the scandal was she was the wife of the catechists of the church, where we couldn't go and hold meetings. <laughs> so I wondered, what kind of characters are leading this church? The catechist is taking their child to witchcraft. The pastor prefers you go to chase sinners where they live. Don't bring them to the church. Now sometimes when children are born again and they are growing in faith and they are married and they have babies, the parents know how are meokoka. They are going to heaven. If you tell them to take the children for those talismans and things, they will refuse. They go on their own. It's okay. Your mother goes to the witch doctor. Tumezaliwa mtoto na wazazi wake ni wajinga hawezi kukubali mambo yetu. Sasa fanya misa ya kulinda to protect the baby. They will not even need to know. They will just see that the baby is safe because uh, the baby has been protected. And there are families that have generations and generations of this kind of ritual. In the face of disease, you'll be amazed how quickly even some Christians fall back to occultic practices. And even some sleepwalking doctors tell patients, we can't find anything wrong with you. Go and check with your ancestors, with your relatives. Is there something in your family that could be the reason for this disease? The solution is not in modern medicine. So we ask, what is the interface between culture, traditional religions, and Christianity in relation to demonic activity? And I felt led this time to open up a little more about demonic activity. Now, the activities of Satan are part of his cosmic design to sabotage God's purposes. That's what he wakes up to do every day. If you can sense what God is doing, he'll figure out how do we stop it. But sometimes we condemn cultures and we condemn people. They are not a problem. Satan is the problem. And Satan will latch onto anything he can find or anyone available to wreak havoc in Christians and the world around us. Now, many evangelical Christians completely underrate Satan. They think that he's a small fellow who has horns and... Alishindwa! Musalabani. Nikweli alishindwa. Lakini bado, akona uwezo wakukuletea shida mingi katika maisha yako. So Paul says in Ephesians 4.27, do not give the devil a foothold. Now the danger with some of these 
vestiges from our cultures and cultural hang-ups that we carry is that whereas on the face of it they look harmless, they actually open the door for Satan and give him a foothold in our lives. The devil then has a reason to torment you, to harass you, to afflict you, because a door was opened for him into your life when you were subjected to those rituals and influences. In some cases, the devil has a foothold in families. Your great-grandfather, your grandfather, your father were all in it. So when the devil comes there, he is right home. And as I'm how to Najuana, Tuliazania na wao kitambo mapema. Hawa niachie. Yes, wewe hapa diemgeni. Na unachua wenyeji dio wanachukua kiti ya kwanza. In fact, Bishop, right in that mission across the border that we had, we had an interesting team that came. And he was slain. You know the way people get slain and they fall. Akanguka. And then he was wriggling like a snake. Looking for where the sound equipment was. So some insightful characters came and sat between him and the equipment. And then as we continued, a very angry character came speaking in the local language. And I couldn't tell what he was saying. I asked, Anasemanini. I was told he's saying, even if you defeat us here, we are going to wait him to wait for him at home. Yani people, Bishop Zikona audacity akusema, mukitueza hapa. We shall go and wait for the character at home, where you are not. So we shall just come in and continue to have our field day. Now, some people are under satanic oppression because doors have been opened in their lives. And they don't know. But sometimes our sinful choices and actions also open the doors for Satan in our lives to lay claims on us. Now, you don't have any such here, Pastor Mwaura. I know some other churches where you find such. Say, I believe in Jesus. I'm going to heaven. So Satan is telling you, okay, you are saved. You're going to heaven. But you took that bribe. So what, what are you going to make of that? Before that bribe matter has been resolved, don't say that we are not in business. Okay, you are saved and you are going to heaven, but you slept with that girl who was not your wife. You became multiple flesh with people when the Bible says one flesh. Okay, you are saved, but see to Kopamoja. You know, even as a Christian, sin opens the door for Satan to have a foothold in your life. Now, some of the common forms of oppression of the enemy are known to us. One of them is sickness. It's the commonest form of uh, oppression. People fall sick, and they're not getting better. The doctor evaluates, says, this is psychological. This is in your head. It's not really in the body. Look, the tests are saying you are okay on every count. Including diseases that run in families. And your family is oppressed uh, with asthma. Show, show had asthma. Uka had asthma. Daddy had asthma. Now I have asthma. My children have asthma. Kwani? Where do you do ask my way in Charaza? Quen too. And there are many families that live under the oppression of disease. Sometimes, in some families, girls don't get married. 
kwa jirani when she hits 20 you even hear that men fought in the shopping center <laughs> at you you that girl I, I should never see you again talking to her that girl is mine she is yours and you haven't taken any cows. When she's in the market, she's okay for everyone. And they marry. The first one marries at 20. The second one marries at 22. The third one marries at 19. The fourth one marries at 24. They are all just getting married. In the same neighborhood, there are girls who are not getting married. They are eight, and they are all single. And they are more beautiful. When you look at them, they are beautiful. There doesn't seem to be any sound reason why men shouldn't be falling over <laughs> to marry them. Of course, you know cases of people who graduate and they cannot find work. Repeat in a first class. And the guys who scrape through with a pass in your class, they have jobs even before the campus dust is settled after graduation, two years, three years down the road, you are first class. In fact, some employers are saying, you are too bright for us. I mean, I'm too bright for you when I don't have a job. <laughs> Economic misfortunes. But by far, maybe even worse, a weak will. There are rather many people whose Oppression is not anything major that is done. It is just indecision in unable, being unable to rise to the occasion and make decisions and take stands. You know, Pastor Moro, some marriages are not working because the husband is a pushover. You are married, your mother tells you go east, you go east. Your sister says, no, 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 let's go west. You go west. Your brother, your uncle, Bibi and Aulisa Kwani, I married what kind of man? And this man, everybody gets his way with him except me. When I tell him we go this path, he doesn't. He told, let us drink. He drinks, silly. You know, Women too. And you're saying this is a form of oppression. Jesus says in John 10:10, 10, 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it in abundance. That is God's intention. There are many Christians who do not know what abundant life looks like. The devil wakes up to ensure you don't get abundant life. He's always stealing your things. He's always destroying your things. You're escaping death narrowly by a whisker. At that track, the way it was coming, except that God came. Alikuja bila kutumana. Sasa mimi he, he would kill you, given a chance. That is his work. He came to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And boy, there are many people who can say havoc has been caused in their lives. In John 8, 44, Jesus rebuking the leaders of the Jews, he says they belong to their father, the devil, who was a murderer from the beginning, not holding the truth. There is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. He does not need an interpreter when he speaks the language of lies, and he cannot make a mistake because it is his mother tongue. <laughs> so, don't be surprised that you suffer oppression. That's what he wakes up to do. And cause Havoc. 1 Peter 5 8 says, Be self controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. I know some of you um, memorized this in high school. Resist him standing firm in the faith because you know that your brothers throughout the world 
are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. You know, Satan is literally monotonous in the kind of things he puts Christians through. There is no creativity. Your brothers all over the world are suffering the same things. You are a girl, you are beautiful, you want to go to heaven, you go to Mombasa, men want to sleep with you. You go to Nairobi, they want to sleep with you. You go to the village to greet show, show some stupid fellows from the village are saying, you are beautiful. <laughs> no creativity. <laughs> Your brothers and sisters are going through the same problems everywhere that you are going through. Stand firm and resist him because he doesn't even wake up sometimes with a target. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Basically asking, where shall I find a sleepwalking Christian who is not alert? I terrorize him. So sometimes when you are terrorized, you must ask, are you alert? James says, submit yourselves then to God James 4, 7, resist the devil and he will flee from you. This is a war. You must engage it. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 and following. You will not gain victory of our oppression merely by sitting around complaining, grumbling, and getting angry. You must resolve not to give Satan a foothold. You must firmly resist the devil. So what is your spiritual security in Christ? How can you gain a life of victory in this spiritual warfare and victory against the oppression of Satan? Romans chapter 8 verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You know when you're a Christian, God doesn't condemn you. He just loves you as you are. Unfortunately, too many Christians who God is not condemning are condemning themselves. And as you condemn yourself, you give the devil a foothold. Twenty years ago. Twenty years ago, you are still living under the burden of what you did. And you are saved, and you confessed, and the Bible says you are forgiven. Things that you have been forgiven. You are a grave digger who goes digging the graves of your life. The things you came through so that they cause you distress now when they are long gone. Some women in their 50s. Satan is telling them, remember, when you were in the university, you had an abortion. Even though you got saved, you know that is murder. You know, <laughs> you know you can't change history. So why should you be chained by it? And you are the one creating trouble for yourself. God is not condemning you, but you are condemning yourself. When you got saved, all your previous baggage was thrown off by the Lord. Zechariah chapter 3, verses 1 and 2 this is very dramatic, brothers and sisters. Uh, one day at the throne of God, God is there at his throne. And Satan comes, standing there. There's a character called Joshua. I don't know which Joshua was that. And Satan's business there was to accuse Joshua. So God is here. He's supposed to hear the accusations that would be leveled against Joshua. The Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? Is, this, is not this man a burning stick snatched from the fire. Now, you know, the things we are accused of are true, mostly. 
They're not lying. They're not lying. You need rings. There are marks all over showing what you did. It is true. But God knows it. He doesn't need to be told by Satan or your neighbors. He already knows. So Satan comes to accuse you and God asks him, Hatawewe, what do you talk about? How could you who you vile alikuwa? He was a stick burning in the fire. We plucked him from the burning fire. If you see here, suit some of the places, that is not as bad. He was going to be fully consumed by the fire. Brother and sister, you are a stick, burning stick, snatched from the fire. The marks of failure that you carry, the marks of harm that you suffered, that you carry, the deformities that you carry as a Christian from your previous life, God knows them. God is your witness. He is giving a testimony on your behalf to Satan. Satan, can't you see? This is a burning stick plucked from the fire. Notwithstanding the correctness of the accusations and allegations that may be sent our way, God has received us as we are. While you are yet sinners, Jesus died for you to give you a new life. He did not wait for you to get better. The Lord has given you a fresh start by the blood of Jesus. He knows all the wrongs, things that you are accused of, but he has chosen not to condemn you because Jesus paid the price. Galatians 5.1 says, It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by yoke of slavery. Now the trouble with many Christians is that they keep going up and down. They are unable to appropriate and take for themselves the new status God has given them. So they continue to be terrorized by the enemy. And sometimes they think Satan is correct. God is not condemning you, but Satan is condemning you and you are believing it. You are yoked in slavery again. Sometimes the cultural bonds take you back to where Christ liberated you from. You can legitimately claim your liberty from human culture and social and satanic curses because a pride was paid for you. Galatians 3, 13, Christ redeemed you from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ. And I invite you today to be able to take a stand in your spiritual journey and say every legal, every legitimate, every and undeserved curse on you is now ineffectual because Jesus Christ became a curse in your place so that you can enjoy the freedom and the liberty he brings when he saves us. And so your accusers accuse you legitimately. <laughs> and you say, yes, that used to be the case. Fortunately, I met Jesus, who became a curse in my place. I no longer live under the shadow of that curse. I live under the shadow of the blessing of God, whose wings 
cover me. I live under the shadow of the wings of the Lord and his blessings. You are told there are things you deserve by the way you have lived. And you say, yes, it is true. I deserve. But God knowing that I deserve came to my rescue. He caused Jesus to become a curse. Who had never sinned? That I who do not deserve a blessing because of the way I had lived can live under the shadow of blessing. I can be freed from my wrongs and the consequences of the wrongs therein. It is therefore unfortunate to legally stand liberated from the curse theologically by Jesus because of his becoming a curse on your behalf and for Satan to maintain a spell of the curse around you. A spell of the curse around your family. A spell of the curse around your work and your business. Justifying it with your lapses and your errors and your historical sins and yokes. Some of them aberrations that are shameful to mention. No sinner is so sinful, is so dirty, is so hopeless that God gives up on them. Actually, those very dark sins become qualifications for you to enjoy the grace of God who delights in plucking, burning sticks from the fire <laughs> and giving you a fresh start. And when Satan would accuse you before him, say, Satan, you're another one. You and I know what Madenga was. If I didn't pluck him, we would not even be talking about him. You'd be long dead. So have you discovered anything, anything new that you can bring? <laughs> if, if it is those things, we settled. And we finished. Your enemies and Satan will still try to, to accuse you and to curse you. But you not fear and be intimidated. Proverbs 26 verse 2 says, Like a flattering sparrow or a darting swallow, an undeserved curse does not come to rest very comforting that as Satan and your enemies try to curse you when you are in this free space the liberty that Christ gives they pronounce the curses the curses they can't land they can't land on you you know even when I'm a priest I've known people who tried to curse me and to design and scheme mischief against me. In fact, one fellow told me in London, I was in an office in London, he tells me, we shall finish you. <laughs> I asked him, with who? And he said, with so-and-so, someone I knew here. <laughs> and I asked him, when you are planning how to finish me, did you pray? So he was set back and he wondered, what is this cousin saying about prayer and finishing? He said, no, we didn't pray. I said, you should always pray around the things you do so that by the choices you make, you don't run counter to God's purpose and plan and will. How's that sound? And I told him, from the way you have spoken, I think you have hatched a very foolish plan on how to finish me. If I were in your shoes, I would make a different plan. And he says, oh, oh, oh. Uh, so how would you plan it? <laughs> and I, I gave him a proposal. That was better. <laughs> and he tried. And I'm still here. <laughs> Those curses are like sparrows and darting birds flying in the air. Where we may pita kiwago kia kulaniwa kwa sababu wewe ni mubarikiwe wa bwana 
a long narrative in Numbers chapter 23, verses, Numbers 23 to 25, it's such a long passage, I will not even attempt to read it. King Balak has desire to curse Israel. And he recruits a professional religious person to help him curse Israel, and he offers a reward when Israel is cast so that he can destroy them. Three times, different locations were taken to try and secure a curse on Israel. The first time, he tried to curse a whole territory that could be seen, and instead, Balaam blessed Israel. So he says, well, what a very funny. I give you a job and promise you a pay to curse. When you open your mouth, you bless. What's wrong with you? Balaam says, you know, I can't prevent myself from saying what God says. He said, okay, now leave that one. The crowd there was too big. Let's look for a corner where there are fewer people of Israel that you can see. Um, then you curse. When you curse, the curse would be some password somehow to cover even the ones that he could not see. He opens his mouth and blesses them. Three times, and it is recorded in that passage, no one can curse those whom God has blessed. So what do you need to do to appropriate and make your, this blessing your own? Now I would say, as I wrap up, revisit the question of your salvation and faith in Christ and walk with him. There are enough Christians who are living under oppression because even though they love Jesus, they have adopted a lifestyle as Christians that is contrary to the express teachings of Christ and they are very weak Christians. A nominal approach to faith makes you very vulnerable to Satan. In fact, it says in the Bible, again quoting Jesus, that when a demon is removed from a person, it hovers around for some time and keeps on coming to check if there is an entry and if it finds a suitable ground to come back, it doesn't come back alone. It looks for seven others who are more vicious than itself so that when they reoccupy, they are safer and they can keep going without the danger of being thrown out. So part of the medicine for rising above the yoke of oppression of the enemy Take a stand on your faith. Joshua style. For me and my family, we will serve the Lord. When you have no fall about your faith and your stand in Christ, Satan gets to know it. And he leaves you and goes to other people. Examine your life and check, is there clear oppression on your life and your family and your work? and your livelihoods. If there are, ask yourself, are there gaps in your life and family which give Satan a foothold in your lives? Now, sometimes when you know, it is easier. Sometimes when you don't know, it is harder. I have seen people who confessed. I think... I am under the oppression of the enemy. I can't tell why. Pray for me so that I can have a break with that oppression and anoint me with oil. But if you know the foothold you have given Satan, take it away. Confess your sins. Ask for God's grace and he'll give you a break. But if you cannot see any logical connection between your oppression and sin or a foothold you have given Satan, don't worry. The majority of the Christians that are under oppression of the enemy have done nothing wrong. 
They are not being punished for anything they have done. Satan, in his malevolence and wickedness, hanging around looking for someone to devour, has landed on you and is creating havoc, not because of anything you have done. And don't be persuaded by people that if things are going wrong in your life, there must be anything you have done. They tried it with Job. You know, Job had done nothing. There are enough Christians who are walking right, they are seeking to please God. They actually are impactful in the kingdom and they are under the yoke of oppression by the enemy when they have done nothing. Stop placing burdens on people. It's not getting a baby. There must be something they have done. I mean, not necessarily. That man lost his job. He must be a stupid man who doesn't go to work in time. I mean, some people are losing jobs when they have done nothing wrong. They're just under oppression of the enemy. That marriage is in the, in the rocks. There must be a careless thing there. Yes, there are some that have been careless, but majority of the people suffering, they are trying to please God, and they are doing everything they know right. But you have a right to take a stand and rebuke Satan, the destroyer, the robber, and the killer. And demand that the Lord who repays what the locusts have eaten repays you. Because he does. Don't let your assets and resources be taken by the enemy, which are the means of your livelihood, and you take it lying down. Why do you take the oppression of the enemy lying down? Flex your muscle. <laughs> take your stand as a Christian and rebuke the enemy and rebuke the devourer. If it's too much for you, that's what these pastors are here for. Seek them out. Ask them to pray for you. Ask them to anoint you with oil. Ask them to come to your home and carry out a ministry of deliverance. Don't take lying down that your husband is uh, making life very difficult for you. Call Pastor Malenke, hold hearts, anoint with oil. Get a litro, drop it where he sleeps, and declare he is a prisoner of grace. Because Paul said, some of you wives of unbelieving men, through you, they will come to faith. But don't leave it to happen naturally. Take the necessary spiritual measures. Don't let your business be terrorized by the enemy as part of his oppression against you. Call the pastors. Ask them to pray for your business and dedicate it. I know people whose businesses were prayed for when they were sinking. And the turnaround they got, they say, only the Lord could have made the intervention. You know, the provisions of grace that are available for us too often, we don't invoke them. We think pastors are people to tell us nice things on Sunday. They must tell us nice things on Sunday. But between Sunday and Sunday again, in between, there is ministry to be done. And because the one who wears the shoe knows where it pinches, step out. Don't wait for the pastor to come and tell you, is there something that we need to pray over in your life? So if you need help, don't be ashamed. Ask for prayer and anointing. You know, these cultural hang-ups I spoke about, they terrorize many people. You don't have to be a victim of them. The blood of Jesus is enough. You are a fire plucked from the fire by the Lord. No demon no cultural authority has power to chain you again after you have become free. Walk in the freedom 
that the Lord has called you to. I want to close this session uh, so that we pray and go. But I don't know what the Lord has spoken to you today as I shared about this thing about oppression and the lives that we live. And there could be one or two people here who are saying, yes, pastor, uh, <laughs> you spoke about me somewhere, and I want to take a strategy and to take a position and stand up for my faith and enjoy my freedom. I want to reclaim it and enthrone the Lordship of Christ in my life and in my family and in my business a few. But because we are here, if you are such a person and you stand, we shall pray for you right now. You just stand where you are. You know, in a church like this, when you say that, some people check and ask. Now I stand. See, people will know that I am full of problems. <laughs> there are not many people here who don't have problems. Don't fear them. If you like to stand, just stand. I will pray for you. Yes, I will pray for you. If you want to stand so that we pray for you, your situation is one where you think it will be helpful. If the church stands with you in agreement that the Lord comes through for you, just stand where you are. We shall pray for you. Please stand if you want. And don't fear that people are seeing you. It's okay to be seen. You are, after all, a piece of wood plucked from the fire. When they think you have many problems, tell them you had worse. But you just stand so that we pray for the ones that are nagging you and giving you a terror and a huge problem. Just stand. Don't, don't, don't fear. Don't fear. You know, sometimes when you stand in church and you are prayed for, God makes a divine connection of a major proportion in your life because you've taken a step of faith. Now go into prayer and tell God this thing that you like him to do yourself. Just tell him, this is the area where I'm hurting. This is the area where I need an intervention from heaven. Tell him and he will hear. Then I will pray a prayer of agreement. And those of you who are not standing and you can see there are people standing in the house, pray for them. Some of them you know, most of them you don't know. Just whisper prayer. Lord, there are people in this sanctuary who are inviting your visitation in a special way because of the situations they are going through. And the word of God has spoken to their situations and there is business they want to do with God. Just pray for them that it will be done according to their faith and their prayer so that you help me and you help the pastors of this church to harness this church for Christ and to lead every member of this church into the space of freedom that the Lord gives. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you and bless you for your word. Your word speaks of itself and says it is able to keep us from falling. And it's the one that holds the key and the secrets for our lives, our families, our work, and our livelihoods. Lord, I lift before you many here that are being oppressed by the enemy, being reminded of things in their lives that are done and dusted. But Satan keeps bringing them back to the fore of their mind and terrorizing them with guilt and regret and sorrow. I declare your freedom in the name of Jesus. You are a fire plucked from the fire a piece of wood plucked from the fire. You'd have been much worse. Thank God you are only this bad. You could have been worse. Embrace the liberty and the freedom that the Lord gives you. And I pray for those who have situations in their lives where they feel the oppression is heavy and they would like an intervention from heaven, a turnaround of their situation as they embrace the blessing that comes with Jesus becoming a curse so that you can be blessed and free. And I speak to those mountains in your lives in the name of Jesus and I command them to lift and move to the sea. 
and I pronounce that you are liberated, you are free. I pronounce that God has visited you. And I pray for a turnaround in your life. And I lead us now to say this prayer of agreement. That it is done according to your desire and your prayer. In the name of God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless you.